1790, Michael Bachman, an immigrant from Germany, built a beautiful stone house for himself and his wife, Elizabeth, in Landisville, the historic landmark on the property of Hemfield School District, faced demolition. But in 2014, it was moved 1.2 miles from its original foundation of 224 years to a new solid foundation. Mark and Judy Ashley from Landisville purchased the home for $1,000 and then paid tens of thousands more to move it. The house weighed 500 tons, so moving the house was quite complex, but now it sits on a new solid concrete foundation. Now what if Mark and Judy told the movers, yeah, just go ahead and, and drop the house on, on that level dirt over there? Well, aren't you planning on, on a concrete foundation? Nah, just drop it on the ground. It'll be okay. A group of, of construction companies from the UK posted an article titled, Can You Build a House Without a Foundation? And they said this, quote, The simple answer is that, of course, you can, as long as you don't need it to stand for long. End of quote. And they go on to write, Although a building may be able to support the downward thrust of its load without a foundation, it's sideways motion that creates the problem. As the ground changes temperature with the seasons, it expands and contracts, causing instabilities that make the building lurch. This means that unless it's built on a rock so solid that there's no variation, Stability depends on having the structure's base resting on a level deep enough to maintain a constant temperature. This should ensure that lateral movement is kept to a minimum. Unless it's built on a rock so solid that there's no variation. That's an interesting way to put that. When it comes to a house, people want a foundation without variation, and yet when it comes to their life, many choose a foundation with much variation, and it wrecks them in the end. People establish their lives upon the foundations of their own abilities, their work ethic, or problem solving, or fearlessness, or grit, or maybe upon various religions, philosophies, or worldviews, or maybe upon institutions, or associations, or social causes. Here's the problem. All of those foundations expand, contract, and shift, making the person's life lurch and ultimately collapse in the end. There's only one steadfast, one secure, and one safe foundation upon which to build your life. Have you been following the news? We're seeing faulty foundations crack, lurch, and collapse, and it's dreadful. The church needs to stand tall amidst the cracking, lurching, and collapse and proclaim the solid foundation of Psalm 18. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. For who is God but the Lord and who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. One foundation is without variation. In Malachi 3.6, God says, For I, the Lord, do not change. 
James 1.17 says that within God there is no variation or shadow due to change. And what I want to get across today for your solidity, for your security, for your solace, dear saints of God, what I want you to trust in with unwavering confidence is the supremacy of Jesus Christ, your firm foundation. He will hold you fast because you belong to Him. The rock makes you secure on the hard road of sanctification to eternal life. So here's my main point. Jesus assures, comforts, and sustains His true disciples along the hard but secure way of sanctification to eternal life. We begin with an uncomfortable truth. Hard times come to everyone. Who can escape hard times? In his parable, Jesus presents two builders, two houses, two foundations. First, a wise builder who built his house on a rock foundation. And second, a foolish builder who built his house on a sand foundation. And notice, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on both houses. This, this simple metaphor illustrates life. Everyone builds their life on a foundation. Wise people build their lives on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and His Word. Foolish people build their lives on the unstable foundation of everything else. The rain, floods, and winds represent hard times, even temptation. But also, and I think more importantly, God's righteous and eternal judgment. Everyone will face the storm of God's judgment. The context helps us here. Jesus taught about God's judgment throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And right before this parable, Jesus taught of the wide gate and easy way that leads to destruction. Diseased trees failing to produce good fruit and being cut down and thrown into the fire. Telling uh, false disciples on the last day, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. He's been teaching about God's righteous judgment. Other scriptures talk about this as well. Here are two. Psalm 83 talks about God's tempest and God's terrifying hurricane. Jeremiah 30 verse 23 says, Behold, the storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth. A whirling tempest, it will burst upon the head of the wicked. Hard times and God's judgment come to everyone. Christians and atheists, Republicans and Democrats, white and black people, pastors and imams, preschoolers and seniors, rich and poor, and whatever degree of hard times come for each, the storm of the Lord will come for all. And in that day, the houses of our lives will either prevail or perish, pending on our foundation. So let's ask this question. From where do stability, security, stamina, and life come in hard times? My brother Chris doesn't worry as much as I do. Just in life, in general. He just doesn't worry as much as I do. And in the past, I've offered to give him some things to worry about. <laughs> now, some of my fears are rational. They could happen. 
And at times, I feel vulnerable. I want stability, security, stamina, and life. But I, just to be candid, I'm just a weak person. I need something outside of me, something bigger than me, something acting for me to secure me, or I'll collapse in hard times. Part of my fear of facing hard times is not being able to withstand when the hard times come. That's part of my fear. So, number one, stability, security, stamina, and life in hard times come from being established on Jesus, the rock. His words fortified his disciples. He used this simple metaphor to illustrate him keeping them secure. Listen closely. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. Doesn't that sound like life sometimes? Isn't it a good metaphor for God's judgment? But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Why didn't the house collapse in the force of the tempest? It had been founded on the rock. The rock secures. The rock keeps. The rock preserves. Jesus' metaphor implies that the rock remains indestructible in the tempest. Now, a flash flood uh, with water moving at about nine feet per second can move rocks weighing almost 100 pounds. Some estimate floodwaters can reach 98 feet per second in steep terrain, which could move a half-ton rock. The parable doesn't work if the rock is small. The rock must be massive immovable and steadfast in the storm and the question is what foundation is steadfast in the storms of hard times and God's justice consider Jesus Jesus the God man suffered more than we can imagine as true and righteous man he was able to pay for our sin because he had none of his own to pay for as true God he was able uh, by his divine nature to bear in his human nature the tempest of God's holy wrath and judgment and survive to obtain for us and restore to us righteousness and life. Like a massive and immovable rock, Jesus bore God's wrath and justice to rescue his people from the storm. Isaiah 53 describes the pain and sorrow and suffering of Christ. Isaiah referred to Christ as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He said we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He even used the word oppressed. Isaiah also described Christ taking upon himself our griefs, sorrows, pains, and suffering. Isaiah says surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He shall bear their iniquities. Jesus Christ took our griefs, sorrows, pains, sins, iniquities, misery, and guilt upon himself, and he endured the storm of the Lord for us and prevailed. Isaiah was clear, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. 
yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for sin. Brothers and sisters, Jesus endured the storm of the Lord for us. When Jesus taught his disciples it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock, it assumes that he, the rock, withstands the storm. Jesus Christ has satisfied God's justice for his people so they will stand stable and secure and safe in hard times, but even more in the day of God's judgment. And Isaiah 53 ends with Isaiah mentioning the Messiah, making many to be accounted righteous and making intercession for the transgressors. Christ suffered and endured the storm of the Lord to justify sinners and shelter them from the storm of the Lord. If we are ever going to have real and rational comfort in life and in death, we must know that our foundation will not crack, lurch, or collapse beneath the hurricane of God's righteous wrath and judgment. Brothers and sisters, our steadfast foundation is what Heidelberg 37 describes. During all the time he lived on earth, but especially at the end, Christ bore in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. Thus, by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he has redeemed our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtained for us the grace of God, righteousness, and eternal life. Saints, there, there, is your, there is your security and your stamina and your life. God vindicated Jesus Christ who prevailed in the storm. Therefore, those who are founded upon him prevail in the storm. He holds them fast. When Jesus taught his disciples, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock, he was heartening them that they would not fall because they were founded upon him and upon his word. Now, Jesus didn't describe what the wise man felt inside his secure house. Maybe the wise man trembled and wondered, am I going to make it through this storm? If so, his, his only comfort was to keep coming back to, but the rock will hold, the rock will hold, the rock will hold. Did Jesus emphasize the house or the foundation of the house? The key phrase is because it had been founded on the rock. Your house, your, your life, it won't be perfectly constructed, but does it rest on Jesus, the rock? When hard times come and when you ponder facing the storm of God's justice, where do you look for assurance? I've constructed this house pretty well. It will hold. Or the rock will hold. And there's a big difference. The foolish man probably thought that, that he had built a pretty sturdy house. But what good would that sturdiness do in the storm considering he picked a horrible foundation that would not hold? 
Here's our comfort, brothers and sisters. Consider Heidelberg 44. In my greatest sorrows and temptations, I may be assured and comforted that my Lord Jesus Christ, by his unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony, which he endured throughout all his sufferings, but especially on the cross, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. Jesus is our stability. Jesus is our security. Jesus is our stamina. Jesus is our life. Why? Because, dear brothers, he has delivered us from the anguish and torment of hell. When the rain falls, when the floods come, when the wind blows and beats, we shall not fall because Jesus the rock holds us fast. True faith believes this. Do you believe this? Number two. Stability, security, stamina in life and life in hard times come from hearing and doing the words of Jesus because of being established on him. Verse 24 says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Hearing is essential, but hearing isn't enough. Hearing must lead to doing. To be wise and secure in the storm is to hear and do the words of Jesus. But just for clarity here, to make sure we don't misunderstand this, Jesus linked the house standing amidst the storm to the rock foundation, not to the hearing and doing. The hearing and doing reveal the true foundation. The hearing and doing are the result of being founded on the rock. It's important to remember that the rock is the focal point. Now, is the rock the words of Jesus or Jesus? Yes. We cannot separate the words of Jesus from the person of Jesus because the words of Jesus reveal Jesus. The Bible is how God has chosen to reveal Jesus Christ to us. And, and so to say things like, well, the Bible isn't God, is technically true, but suggests something very dangerous and unnecessarily pits God against his own word. There is no relational intimacy with Christ without the word of Christ, without the teaching of Christ. Without the doctrine of Christ. Now, who do you know whom you have not communicated with? If you haven't communicated with them, you don't know them. So I believe the rock in the parable represents Jesus himself and his words or teaching. We must first be established upon Jesus the rock. We must first be in him or united to him those whose lives are truly established on Jesus the rock, who have received him by faith, not only continue to hear the words of Jesus, in our case from Holy Scripture, but receive and believe his words as absolute truth and set out to do all of them without question, with all of their heart, because they love Jesus, the person who communicated himself to them through words. Those truly established on the rock are entirely committed to hearing and doing the will of their Lord Jesus Christ because they know him. When we think about enduring hard times and facing God on judgment day, 
it's easy to start thinking about ourselves. I hope he sees something good in me. I hope I pass the test. I hope I've done enough good to please him. I hope he finds my faith worthy. It's easy to focus on ourselves. Jesus does say, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, he did say, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he did say every healthy tree bears good fruit. Obeying Jesus is of utmost importance. In fact, it is necessary for salvation because it is the fruit of our justification. But if what we have done is our focus, our focus is in the wrong place. Obeying Jesus is the fruit of being founded on and held fast by the rock. Please, please don't miss where Jesus places the emphasis. It did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Our assurance is that the rock will hold us fast. And the evidence of actually being founded on the rock and being held fast by the rock is our hearing and doing his precious words. Look at your life. What do you desire? What do you choose? How do you behave? Ask yourself honestly, upon what foundation am I building? Your life is the answer. If your foundation is Jesus, you will find yourself hearing and doing what he says. If you are simply hearing and the hearing doesn't lead to you doing, you're on the wrong foundation. But if you're hearing and doing what Jesus taught, then dear brother, dear sister, that is grace working in you because you are established on Jesus, the rock. We call this sanctification. Doing is part of our comfort and assurance because doing is evidence of Jesus, the rock, holding you fast. So your life gets really hard. The sky turns black. A mighty storm is brewing. Suddenly, the skies burst open, the monsoon hits, the tidal wave hits, the hurricane wind hits, life's turbulent, and you're terrified. You're trembling. Maybe you're in the fetal position, sucking your thumb, speculating whether you're ever gonna survive. In those critical moments, where is your stability, security, stamina, and life? You, you need to look down to see what's holding you up and you need to know the rock will hold, the rock will hold, the rock will hold. We need to look to Christ in prayer, in supplication, in trust, in complete dependence. The rock will hold, but there's more. If you are to be truly wise and therefore truly secure and truly safe in the storm, as we look to Jesus, our walk, we must also hear the words of Jesus from Scripture and do them precisely because we are established on Jesus. Hard times, brothers and sisters, do not remove our responsibility to trust and obey. When, when hard times hit and we find ourselves wanting to obey, struggling to obey, and actually obeying, it is our rock that is holding us fast. In hard times, we must turn to the Lord, ask for His grace and spirit, trust Him to provide His grace and spirit, and thank Him for providing as we obey. 
I like how Luke quotes Jesus in Luke 2, a parallel account, be worth checking out. Luke recounts Jesus saying, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, come, hear, do. The law uncovers our guilt. God draws us by his grace to come and we obey because we have received him and are so thankful for his grace and spirit. J.C. Ryle said, the man who hears Christian teaching and practices what he hears is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. He does not content himself with listening to exhortations to repent, believe in Christ, and live a holy life. He actually repents. He actually believes. He actually ceases to do evil, learns to do well, abhors that which is sinful, and cleaves to that which is good. He is a doer as well as a hearer. End of quote. And inevitably, when we talk about doing, at least some of our minds will go quickly to perfectionism. We'll hear Jesus' call to obedience and start putting immense pressure on ourselves to perform in order to be accepted and loved by God. And quite frankly, that's a misunderstanding of the gospel of imputed righteousness and Christ-bought and spirit-wrought sanctification. Notice what Ryle said, which I think puts obedience into perspective. He said, learns to do well. Learns to do well. The one secure and safe on the rock is learning to do well, growing, progressing. They are being sanctified by God. Jesus' disciples, they were still hearing and still learning to respond to Jesus with grace induced spirit wrought obedience and and jesus was holding them fast along the way we get the sense of that in jesus prayer high priestly prayer in john 17 he was holding them fast and the same is true for us brothers and sisters who have been founded on the rock if we look for perfection in our own lives we'll just be discouraged and flattened it won't work. We will fear more and more as we look to ourselves and our own perfection that our house of cards is going to fall at some point. But if we look for grace-producing progress, we know that Christ is holding us fast. Our rock will hold. Dr. Hendrickson used helpful imagery. He said, every ambition of man, a man cherishes, every thought he conceives, Every word he speaks and every deed he performs is, as it were, a building block. Gradually, the structure of his life rises. Not all builders are the same, however. Some are sensible. Some are foolish. End of quote. Look at your life. How are you building? Upon what foundation are you building? You will know them by their fruits. Now let's ask a different question. From where do instability, insecurity, infirmity, and death come in hard times? Sometimes instability, insecurity, infirmity, and death are masked with a convincing facade of confidence. There is such thing as false or delusional confidence. Think about the guy who's 
at a Major League Baseball game, and he's sitting on the third baseline, having a great time with his friends, and he turns for just a little bit, just a moment, uh, turns his attention away from the game to tell his comrades a story, and just like that, a foul ball rockets towards the back of his head. He feels stable, secure, strong, having a great time, but in less than a second, he will be unconscious. He couldn't feel his peril until it hit. Dan Doriani said, a secular person may uh, say, I have faced many storms on my own and stayed strong, but what about the final storm when life ends? End of quote. Self-reliant people can make it through some big obstacles in life, but there's one insurmountable obstacle that fools don't consider. The oncoming storm of God's righteous indignation, wrath, and justice. They build their lives on a foundation of sand that may appear to support them for this life, but in the end, they collapse. Number one, danger, destruction, and death await those who are not established on Jesus the rock. Jesus made it simple and clear. Verse 27, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Now, what point does Jesus want to make there? His point is that those who are not founded on him and his word, those who hear but refuse to do, will collapse in a great fall when the hurricane of God's justice comes. They will perish in hell. This is the sense of, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. When those with a sand foundation face hard times, afflictions, sufferings, pain, and temptations, they are not ever secure, even if they assume they are. Even if they survive some storms of this life with the appearance of fortitude, what happens when the storm of the Lord comes? They go down. Only one foundation holds, the rock of Jesus Christ. All the other faulty foundations of sand cannot support the deluge of God's justice. And honestly, they can't really support the deluge of life storms either. Sure, there are confident atheists, but they have delusional confidence, false confidence. There are also many others who simply collapse in this life. Number two. Instability, insecurity, and infirmity in hard times come from hearing and not doing the words of Jesus because of not being established on him. It is possible to hear the words of Jesus, to even get really excited about them, but to ultimately do nothing in response. Verse 26, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The word for foolish there, the Greek word, is moros, meaning someone who shows folly or lack of forethought. In other words, a moron, a complete blockhead. A moron, in the biblical sense of the term, is someone who hears the words of Jesus and does nothing in response. Someone with a, a faulty foundation doesn't listen to Jesus. They might hear, but they don't listen. They don't care, and they don't desire. They don't act. They foolishly choose to think their own way, 
to think their own thoughts and to do their own thing, to go their own way. And you can tell that that's what they're doing by watching their lives. D.A. Carson said, The sermon ends with what has been implicit throughout it. The demand for radical submission to the exclusive lordship of Jesus, who fulfills the law and the prophets and warns the disobedient that the alternative to total obedience, true righteousness, and life in the kingdom is rebellion, self-centeredness, and eternal damnation. End of quote. So the alternative to coming to Jesus and hearing and doing what Jesus teaches is rebelling with self-centeredness unto eternal damnation. The life of a foolish man is a house of cards. It will collapse in the storm of God's justice. Joseph Stalin at one time was a seminary student. One day he rejected God and eventually built his life on the foundation of communism. His daughter Svetlana recounted that as her father was dying, he suffered distressing hallucinations. And in his last moments, Stalin, who had by some estimates helped orchestrate the death of 20 million people, sat halfway up in bed, clenched his fist towards God in heaven, fell back on his pillow, and died. John Calvin said, For such is the vanity of the human mind, that all build upon the sand, who do not dig so deep as to deny themselves. Isn't that it? At the heart of danger, destruction, and death, beneath instability, insecurity, and infirmity, is the foundation of vanity and self-reliance, a very different foundation than Jesus Christ the rock. So here's where I'll, where I'll end. Jesus Christ assures, comforts, and sustains his true disciples through his authoritative and powerful word. Matthew says in 28, verses 28 and 29, and when Jesus finished these sayings, now that's an important phrase, and I'll unpack that a bit next week. That's important to the book of Matthew. The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The scribes, they were in the habit of, of, of hearing teachers from the past and just teaching them. They spoke in commentary, not in authority. Jesus didn't quote other teachers. Now, he certainly quoted the Old Testament with authority, but that was God's word. Jesus came and spoke as the preeminent and definitive teacher sent from God. I say to you, I tell you, you have heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus didn't need commentators. He teaches his disciples with the authority of God. He is the authoritative word of God. He made his own voice of truth, the baseline. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. E.A. Carson said, Moreover, the will of the Father becomes definitive in what Jesus calls these words of mine. His teaching is definitive. End of quote. And the crowds, the crowds were blown away at, at 
how authoritatively Jesus taught his own disciples, and yet the crowds would come to largely reject Jesus. They thought, boy, he teaches his disciples with incredible authority, and boy, our scribes, they don't teach like that. Jesus impresses even unbelieving fools. Many people are impressed with Jesus, find his teaching astonishing and good and moral, and man, he was just such a great teacher, and yet they refuse to deny themselves, they refuse to come to him, they refuse to rest themselves on him alone, and they refuse to begin doing what he commands. Carson is very insightful to help us close out the Sermon on the Mount. He said, the central point is this. Jesus' entire approach in the Sermon on the Mount is not only ethical, but messianic, i.e. Christological and eschatological. Jesus is not an ordinary prophet who says, thus says the Lord. Rather, he speaks in the first person and claims that his teaching fulfills the Old Testament, that he determines who enters the messianic kingdom, that as the divine judge he pronounces banishment, that the true heirs of the kingdom would be persecuted for their allegiance to him, and that he alone fully knows the will of his Father. Isn't that what Jesus was doing all along in this incredible sermon? How does Jesus create and sustain faith and fortitude in his disciples? How does he do it? Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How does Jesus hold you fast? By his sovereign power and authoritative word. Security and safety along the hard road of sanctification unto eternal life is found in receiving and resting in Christ and His Word. His Word read, His Word preached, and His Word hidden in your heart. 